You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning, church. Today we're going to be in Exodus chapter 40, verses 9 through 38, which takes us to the end of the chapter and the end of the book. Um, You can follow along as I read. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to go over to the Connections desk and grab one of the black Bibles and take it home as a gift um, from us to you. This is Exodus chapter 40, verses 9 through the end of the chapter. You can follow along on the screens as well as we engage in God's word. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of the meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of the meeting before the veil and burned, fra- and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in the place the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of the burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of, of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of the meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. You can now have a seat, and the kids can be dismissed to their class. Hey, all. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this morning, and what a joy and privilege it is to, to sing and pray as one in Christ, and now we get to sit under God's Word together. Um, there is no shortage of home renovation shows out there, all right? I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but for the last couple decades, maybe since, I don't know, like trading spaces, maybe kick things off? I don't know. Um, but, but there are a lot of shows out there, Property Brothers and Fixer Upper and Flipper Flop and all kinds of other things, all right? Take, take some time and shout out. I'm just kidding. Don't shout out your favorite. Um, so they, they all kind of share a, a template that makes for entertaining, if not predictable, television, right? Um, and, and, and it all kind of culminates with like a, a, a climactic reveal or a conclusion at the end. But, but the template looks something like this. Find a house. Make sure it's a disaster. Um, buy it for an insanely high price, <laughs> and then uh, make it awesome, and then, then love it or list it, right? That's what they all look like, right? That's what they do. And so most of the shows, they're, they're kind of working through unexpected, expected obstacles, uh, and there's conflicts um, within uh, the, the homeowners and, and the contractor, and there's tensions, and there are leaks, and electrical issues, and building codes, and all kinds of stuff. But then uh, the last five minutes of the show, that's why everyone comes in and um, the, the music fades up and there's a time-lapse montage and there's suddenly paint on the floor and there's fl uh, or paint on the wall and flooring on the floor. There's probably some paint on the floor. Um, there's, there's furniture. Uh, they move that in and there are light fixtures installed and, and everything's furnished and the pillows are fluffed and the candles are lit and they stop the music you know, just in time to, sh to show the family uh, their new home. And, you know, you can always expect tears because that's just a big deal, right? Um, and so the house is restored and the home is established and there are new beginnings ahead. Why is that so appealing and why do you, like, bajillions of people watch the same shows over and over and over well, I think a couple of reasons. One, it's just intriguing to see how people live that don't live like us, right? Um, but, but the bigger thing is, is it kind of takes us to like a what if. Like, man, like how great would that be if, if we had those storage solutions to overcome the clutter in our own home, right? Or, or in our own life for that matter. And how great would it be to have a spacious kitchen to host in or, or just the freshness of a restart to move things forward? Man, we as a church have journeyed for, for a long time through the book of Exodus. Like, like we were actually like on the Exodus, it's felt like, right? We started the first Sunday in January 20, uh, 2020, uh, and then so we, we kind of went through half of the book, and then we picked up uh, the beginning of this year, and so it's been, 
sweet, and we've journeyed along, and, and we've got to meet some people through the scriptures, and, and we, we've learned and connected with God's people from old, and we saw baby Moses grow up, and we saw uh, the Egyptian brick-making uh, under a, a tyrant leader, and we saw uh, the burning bush, and we saw let my people go, and we saw the Red Sea, and, and the Egyptian army destroyed, and we saw fire and clouds, and the Ten Commandments um, establishing a new covenant between God and his people and, and a new law that is the fabric for a loving and just community, a loving and just society under a loving and just God. And, and their environment and their names and their faces and the lay of, of their land looks a little different. But by and large, we've seen the same struggles and obstacles and the same celebrations and the same calls to, to be devoted to God alone and the same forsaking from God's people and the same covenant love and the same God that we know today. It doesn't look so different. And so now we're in chapter 40 and we hear kind of the music fading up. And there's a time lapse, literally. The, the first eight verses is just kind of a time lapse of what we've been looking at for, for a month. And, and the building of the tabernacle and all these things. And, and we see that the curtains are hung and the candles are lit and, and the pillows are fluffed in the tabernacle. They had seen his glory. They had seen the glory of God. On, on top of the mountain, and they had seen his glory work through their deliverance and rescue, and they had seen his glory in part through Moses' shining face. And they'd seen God's divine work, but they were waiting to see the fulfillment of the promise that God made in chapter 29. And this is what he said. He said, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites, and I will be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And that's what all of this has been about. Here we see it happening, and the place is... Is, is restored and the people are restored and Moses is restored despite like some trouble along the way. And the tabernacle is in and the people are restored and the home is established and there are new beginnings ahead. God has restored his people that he might dwell among them. That, that's what we've been doing for the last 18 months as we've been looking at this, is, is that God has restored his people. He has rescued them. He has established them that he might dwell among them. That's like the headline of Exodus. And this is a big deal. It's, it's a, a culmination. It, it isn't the end. And the story doesn't end there, but it is the end of the day and, and the beginning of, of a new way forward. And so since this journey ends with the glory of God taking up residence, not high atop the mountain, but right there among the people. We get to peek in, and we get to see what type of place and what type of people God sees fit to dwell with. So the first thing we see in this is, is, is this. God dwells in holy places. God dwells in holy places. So, like I said, the first eight verses of this chapter, it's the time lapse. It's the building of the tabernacle. It's, it's, um, 
And, and what we see is, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall put the thing up. Right? So it's, it's New Year's Day. And, and I, it's obviously not an accident. And that's like a good thing. Like around here, if we're going to do something big, we like either say like, well, let's uh, install that and make sure that that's like rolling out at the beginning of the year or, or what? Or Easter, right? All right? And so like that makes sense. And, and sometimes we build our lives, man, in the beginning of the year, let's, let's make sure that we're doing that. And so God is even working with them in that. Like a long time ago to, to set them up like it's, it's a new year and a, and a new you, Right? Um, and, and so it's a, a new day, a new year, a new beginning. And Moses has done, as, as Emmy read, over and over again. And Moses has done exactly what the Lord has required over and over again. He's, he's doing everything literally by the book. And the people wait with hopeful expectation. Like, my goodness, we've been working so hard and we gave so much. Remember we talked about last week at the generosity and they gave of their gifts and their, their time and, and all of those things. And, and they have a hopeful expect, expectation that, that God has brought them there with, with a purpose in the face of doubt and, and, and in spite of them at times. And, and he invited them to build for, for this purpose and, and he showed them the way and, and, and we're really doing it. And then we see this, right? And keep in mind, God dwells in holy places because that's what this tells us. Let me show you. Exodus 40, starting in verse 9. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it in all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offerings and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Right? Anoint it all. Consecrate it. Prepare it for me. And you're saying, what do those words mean? And, and, and really, it just kind of means consider it sacred. Consider it, it mine. Dedicate it for my service. Set it apart for me. Put, put oil on it as an expression of my presence. An, anointing this place, all of it, the tabernacle and the furniture and the altars and the utensils and the basins, all of it. Set all of it apart as holy in preparation for my presence. And Moses did that. But, but what does that mean to set a place apart as holy for God to dwell? Like, if you think about uh, the picture of the tabernacle, and we've talked about this a bit, but it is a condensed reflection of the Garden of Eden, where God uh, established creation as his holy temple. And in that, there, there is light, and, and that light stands uh, on, on stands that look like trees with a center that is off limits as the holy place and the basins where, where water flows, and, and he's setting up a priesthood of atoms to, to oversee his creation. This tabernacle is set apart as a picture of a new creation set apart for God to dwell together with his people in spite of their sin. What would it look like for, for us to try to do that? What would it look like for us to try to set apart a space, or, or all of creation for that matter, as holy, expecting God to dwell? See, whatever you're thinking right now probably reveals a bit about how you interact with God. And it might take us a while to get there. 
right? There's going to be some tensions, but, but if you think about the way that, that movies or your neighbor interact with, with the idea of a holy uh, place, you think about like Indiana Jones uh, and the way that they think about these, these holy uh, rooms or, or, or like the cup that Jesus drank out of, and if you touch that in the wrong way, then you die in a bad way, right? Or, or your neighbor uh, might... Your neighbor might, might live their life however they want. But, but in, if they enter into a building with, with stained glass and a steeple, man, they might consider sacred places a little differently. And, and week in, week out, people do as they please. Sacred roots or, or stained glass or a steeple set apart for sacred presence and, and fear comes upon them. I've had people in my life tell me like, well, I would go to church with you, but man, that place would burn down if I stepped in there. And like, oh, like, oh, gosh, if I even just touched a Bible, my hand would get hot. And I'm like, okay, one, well, we meet in a Sears building. So like, that's one thing, the basement of an old Sears building. But yeah, I get, I get what you're saying, right? Um, this brings a bit of attention, though, in, in applying what we see here. We see it in the text, but it's tough to bring it to bear in our own life. And, and you all know that those things aren't true. And you all know that this is, this is, just, this is just a building. And that's why we call it the 210 and not the church, because y'all are the church. Christ redeemed is the church, and we gather together as God's church in this space. But, but the same is true for... For uh, huge cathedrals, ancient cathedrals that, that might be in Rome or wherever else. I have a friend who, who's on staff at a, at a church in Cambridge, uh, England. And they have had uh, vicars. It's like a elder-ish type person, right? Pastors leading the church, vicars. I love when he's, oh, there's a vicar. Like, what are you, we got to get some vicars around here, right? But, um, but so they've had vicars in, in the lineage leading this church for 1,200 years. I'm like, and it's huge and beautiful. And, and Charles Simeon, if you've ever heard of him, he, he was on staff there. He, he led the church for a while. And, and other people that, that are notable throughout history, and, and he's on staff there, and it's like, Wow, like you would get the idea that if you like walked into that place, you're like, wow, like, you know, you can kind of see how that might feel like it would have some intrinsic value. I have friends who, who visited places like Geneva, Switzerland, and, and they've stood in the pulpit where John Calvin preached, right? And I've asked them, and, and I said, do you think that you, your preaching has in, improved by 20% since you stood in that pulpit? Probably hasn't. And yet, those places, are, they're, they're just places, like historic, but, but it's tough to say that, that they're any more sacred than, than an open field in, in North Dakota. And, and the Bible actually affirms that. In, in the book of Acts, which, which follows the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is, is where we see the gospel and the life of Jesus. And just after that, we see, after Jesus ascended, we see the book of Acts, and, and this is what Paul says... Uh, and to, to help us maybe get a little hand on this, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all, mankind, all, all mankind life 
and breath and everything. Now, Paul's context was pagan temples all around him in Athens. But, but I think he would say that that's true here in Hamilton or, or wherever else in whatever time that God does not live in temples made by man. God dwells in holy places, but it's, it's really never been about the place. And so far we have a bit of attention with that. The second thing we see as we just continue reading is God dwells with holy people. <clears throat> Actually, I won't. I'll read in just a second. I was 16 years old and I worked in a bookstore. Up until that point in my life, I think I read... Um, Charlotte's Web in third grade, that was probably the only book I'd ever read. So it was a bit ironic that I was working in a bookstore. Uh, later on in my life, I've read like other books, right, more than just Charlotte's Web. But at that time in my life, so I worked in a bookstore, and I remember my coworker. he was like a year, uh, I was 16, he was probably 17, and, and I remember him, I, I don't know why I remember this, but, but he, he said, okay, like, you're a Christian. I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, I am, you know, I have a question for you, and he's like, so I think he was like, my parents are Catholic, and they're talking about the Pope, and I don't have any idea what was going on, but he said, the Pope like, is, is really sick, and he's dying or whatever. And he said, so, so why would God let someone like that suffer so much? It's like a really great question from like just a normal dude. I have no idea what I said. I was probably like... I don't know. It's a good question. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've thought of that over the years, and I just wanted that one back. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I just want that one back. I, I wish I could, like, have that conversation again. And, um, but, yeah, I wasn't equipped, or I, I didn't know how to respond. And, um, in, in, a, in a similar way, uh, someone just a couple weeks ago at, at a family uh, dinner uh, we were outside playing games and such, and, and we were playing cornhole, and I think I, like, made, like, a, a good shot or whatever. And, and this guy looked at me, and he was like, oh, good job, Mike, or whatever he called me, you know. My name is Michael, but it's cool. Like, we're family. It's fine. But, but um, and, and he was like, yeah, but this is what he said. He's like, yeah, but you have. <laughs> I was like, like in my mind, I'm thinking, what is happening right now? Um, as the church gives me an advantage in, in backyard picnic games. But, but that is not, that's not uncommon at all. I mean, uh, I sat, uh, we sit in the, in the bleachers watching, there was a husband and a wife, and the wife you know, Kim outed me, like, he's my, he's a pastor, like, just let you know, whatever, and so she knew, but her, her husband didn't, and he comes over, and, and for real, like, what the, bleep, 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 you know, like, bleep, and, like, his wife, like, literally, like, boom, like, <laughs> like, it was like, oh, okay, like, um, I get that a lot, like, as if, as if, me or, you know, Adam Hanauer, one of the pastors here, or, or your favorite YouTube uh, preacher or whatever, like, as if, if, if they showed up to your house 
like, as if you would be concerned, like, what's in the refrigerator or what's on the bookshelf or, like, gosh, I hope they don't want to watch Netflix because, like, the continue watching cue on my, like, I really don't want them to see that, you know? But, like, you can see that. It's, like, just a person. Not a big deal, but, like, in, in some way, like, this person is, all right, so, so uh, th- that is a really dangerous perspective. That is a dangerous game. And, and we see people and, and pastors and authors and influencers like do this uh, and, and we see this, this sickening declaration. Some even calling themselves like the anointed man of God. As if that allows them to do whatever they want to do. And, and we see loads of abuse that comes from that and all kinds of devastating hurt within the church, uh, and, and I know um, many of you might be tracking with the uh, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, and, and what that is, it's, it's the history of uh, the, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which is a church out in Seattle, and, um, and the founding pastor of that church is, is a guy called Mark Driscoll, and he's uh, the founder of Acts 29, which, we're, you know, we're an Acts 29 church, and so it's really intriguing because we were in the network when, like, the stuff that they're reporting on was, like, happening, and so many of you were shaped in, like, a huge way by, by the work of God through Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill and, and all kinds of people that were wrapped up into some of that stuff. And, and what you see in that is, like, some really uh, beautiful things in, in the way that God uses broken things and broken people and broken churches to, to advance his mission and as one says, like, God uses broken people because there aren't any others, right? Or God uses sinful people because there aren't any others, and, and that is true. But then we also see, like, the, the brokenness of, of broken people not walking with the Lord and advancing their own mission. There is danger in, in putting one's faith in a man whether he is holy or not, or a person, or, or, or whatever that looks like, apart from God, or, or a church, or an organization, a, a locality, whatever it is, there's so much danger in that. And yet we see this. I, I want to read on now. So Exodus 40, with this in mind, God dwells with holy people. Verse 12, Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water. Aaron had a bit of a rough go. You might remember he was leading a pagan worship service not long ago. And God is, is restoring him. And then it says, and put uh, on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him. Again, set him apart for my use that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them. And anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priests, and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. And so you can see why people read this, and they build themselves up, and they say, look, I, I, am, I am God's holy anointed one. But what we can't do when we're reading the Bible is forget about, you know, the rest of it. As we've discovered, the priests were to manage the sacred place of God. And and the high priest was to stand in between the sin of the people and the holiness of God. And and, and what was, up to this point, always the role of Moses as mediator. Now it begins to transition to a broader group. 
It's not just Moses, but it's now Aaron, and not only Aaron, but his, his family. And later on, they would become the Levites. And, and as you read through the scripture, just know that, that that's this family. The Levites were, were the, the, the uh, temple, the, the people who worked in the temple and who did the, the, the things. And, and they, they basically led the worship through the temple and the sacrifices and all of those things. But what we see is, is it, it was one person, and now it's getting, getting broader to, to people. And a little spoiler, what we'll see is it actually goes back in to just one person, and then it goes very wide to all people. But if there is a God, and he is the one who has uh, revealed in, in this sacred book, he has shown himself as holy, and he is set apart in, in perfect, infinite, eternal, white, hot, burning glory, then, then we get to look at this. And to experience the nearness of God, is uh, his people must be set apart as holy. And this is, this is true today. And, and it's why we have people who, who get confused on how we engage with the culture around us. And it's why uh, historically there are monks and hermits who literally look at the world around them and they say, it's too messed up, I'm going to go live in a cave and, and read and meditate all the days of my life until I wither away. And sometimes, straight up, you're like, that does not sound like a bad idea. Like, you get it. This is why we have fundamentalist Christians obsessed with being separate from the world. And maybe you, you are one. And maybe you've had an encounter with one. Many of us w were one. And it's, it's confusing about what garments we're putting on and what it looks like to be holy. And, and, and the really confusing thing is, is when we put on holy garments that are rooted in ourselves being holy, then we put on self-righteous garments. And what always happens when our righteousness comes from ourself is that everyone else becomes lesser. So we become very judgmental and very difficult to be with. Not very loving. And, and, and the crazy thing is the more then we get to know the God uh, of the scriptures and the more we get to know the scriptures, that's, that's, that's not ideal, right? Um, Jesus interacted. Uh, in the New Testament, you see these people, they're called the Pharisees, right? And and, and they went about this, and, and they cleaned the outside of dishes. And they were, like, really particular about everything. And Jesus, the, the Son of God, walking in the flesh, they're like, hey, Jesus, you can't do that. And he's like, oh, really? Like, okay, let's talk. And so basically, what we see Jesus doing in the New Testament is interacting with self-righteous religious people. So if you don't like self-righteous religious people, one, I would say, cut them some slack. We're all trying to figure this thing out. And two, I would say, Jesus engaged them a lot. So you should, like, read the Bible. That would be fun. We can do that together, all right? But this is what Jesus says. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we read that and we think, how is this possible? Because they seem like they, they have it right. They, they kept all of the rules and they kept a clean house. And they tithe their house plants. And there's too much to dig into here, but, but it must be more than just 
external stuff, right? The holy place and the holy people. And it's, it's this tension. God dwells in holy places with holy people. Well, then the question is, so how do I become holy? If you acknowledge God, that is a good question to ask. Well, it's, it's the last piece. It's, it's this. It's the third piece. It is God's presence that establishes holy places and holy people. So let's read what happened in the end of this journey. I'm going to start in verse 34. So Moses has done all the things, and, and they've done all the things right. And they've been waiting, and then this happens. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I'm going to read that one more time. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting. Because the the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled it. And then, then we read on. Throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle. The people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was in it by night. We've seen this before. In the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The end. God shows up, dwells with them, leads his people. Man, that is beautiful. But what's in focus is the distinction between sacred and, and secular. And this tabernacle is the temple of Israel's king. But not only that, he's the temple of the living God, the king of all kings. The one of which the scripture says that, that he holds the kings of mighty nations like streams of water in his hand. And he's hanging out in his temple He's establishing his presence among his people in a particular place. And they're like about a year removed from, from Egypt, but a lifetime away from its reality. And in this winding story of God and his people, it ends with, with a bit of a mystery in one sense. It, it's all here. God has restored his people that he might dwell among them. There's cause for celebration. But God dwells in holy places with holy people, and that is terrifying. It should be. That should be terrifying. For you, maybe it takes uh, one place or another like, like this. Maybe, it, maybe that truth leads you to despair, like, like gut-wrenching despair. And I know some of you who just carry the weight of your sin in like a really heavy way that you struggle to be liberated from. And so you would say, I know this is true. I know that, that God dwells in holy people. And I know that he, he dwells in holy places. And because it's true, I cannot be near to God. Just like Moses. Because, look at me. Even my best days are disasters in the sight of God. 
And here's the thing, that is completely half true. And it's really important that we get that. Because it's really easy just to bypass that. And you're like, yeah, like, I don't want to jump the gun. But, but we might say, yeah, but grace abounds, so, like, it's okay. And grace, grace does abound. But, but we get to sit in that reality for a moment. We get to uh, lament, and we get to repent, and we get to hate our sin. But, but some of you might be on the other side of the scale. And you, you might approach this idea that, that God dwells in holy places and, and holy people with arrogance, and you might say, yeah, I know. Like the rich young ruler comes to mind, and this dude came up to Jesus, and he said, hey, what do I have to do that I might dwell, like think about it, dwell with you eternally? What, what might I do to gain an, an eternal life? So he's wanting the place and the presence. And Jesus, like, keeps the commands, and he's like, dude, done it, like, since I was a baby. What now? And Jesus is like, wow, I'm really impressed. I'm so impressed by your righteousness. I tell you, so, so you're telling me that you've loved God and you've loved others perfectly. Okay here's, okay, here's what I want you to do. Sell everything you have and just give it to the poor. And then, like, you can follow me. And what did he do? He wasn't so arrogant. He's like, well, I'm not doing that because, like, dude, I'm wealthy. And we don't see it, but Jesus might have been like, well, you're actually poor. And those people who I was trying to get you to sell your stuff and give the money to, they're my disciples and they're the wealthy ones, bro. So, so we might find yourself arrogant, self-righteous, thinking, no, I got this thing figured out. Or maybe you're in a place that's, that's not in any of those, and, and let's call it uh, ignorance. Not because you're ignorant, but because you are ignoring it, right? Um, so, so you're ignoring it. You set the standard for righteousness. You set the standard for holiness. It's what the world around us does. Everyone draws a line. And if it's not rooted in, in this book, it's arbitrary. Draw the line, and tomorrow it'll be a different line. And, it, and if your lines are drawn on the basis of the, the court of public opinion, then just wait five years. And what you thought was okay today, it might not be. And then, and then what? Well, I know what. You, you just hope that you didn't post it. Because if you did, it's over. You lost your job. Your livelihood. Now look, dude, I'm all for that stuff. Shining light on it. But what, what we do in light of ignorance and, and, and declaring things righteous or, or holy or not. Is, is we make God in our image. <laughs> and, and that's not the way that it is. You're made in his image. You are made to glorify him. And when we live our lives that way out of ignorance, God is the one who needs to get in line or, or he's the one that, that needs to look like me. This is the world who disregards God and, and, and plays by their own rules. So here God enters, right? He enters in. The cloud covered the tabernacle. 
It was not a cloud, uh, as one said, it was not a cloud which the sun scatters. This cloud was a token of God's never again question, is the Lord among us or is he not? It guided them. While the cloud rested on the tabernacle, they rested. And when it moved, they followed it. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle in light and fire. God is light and God is a consuming fire. Yet so dazzling was the light and so dreadful the fire that Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation while God was present. <clears throat> See, there's nothing we can do to make places holy or to make people holy. It is the presence of God which makes anything holy that is holy. And I think that's consistent with what we see in this book cover to cover. That is the good news. But, but what Moses could not do, our Lord Jesus has done, whom God caused to draw near and who has invited us to come boldly even to the most holy place. As Matthew Henry said, and we've looked at this time and time again throughout this journey in Exodus. And look, that is the thing that is good news. That is good news. While the Exodus put God's rescue and redemption and restoration and his nature and his dwelling, all of that stuff, it puts it on full display. And, and for 1,500 years, this story that we've worked through together, this interaction between God and his people, it was the sign that God had a people and that he was their God. This rescue. But it also left a foreshadow. If only in that line that Moses could not go in. It left a, a foreshadow only brought to light in the fullness of Christ who drew near, dwelt among his people, established them uh, he, he established them wholly by his life and by his death and the exchange, their unrighteousness for his righteousness and his resurrection, which enabled them to, to receive the spirit of life that we might live a life united to the righteousness of Jesus. And you might say, ah, church stuff, that is the only hope in life and death. There is nothing better that I've ever said than those lines. And, and he made the earth, the Lord's temple, holy and set apart by his presence. The exodus was everything, but it was all just setting the table for the meal that was to come in full through the work of Christ. So we've talked about this, that, that Jesus came. The the the. Glory in the tabernacle was the climax of, of the Exodus account, but, but not the climax of redemption. It was only the glimmering of the glory of God that was prepared for us in Christ Jesus. And, and we've seen that he is the temple and that he is the priest. And by him, we are the temple of God. Or as we've read many times in First Peter, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light for all who trust in the, the name of the Lord. Or as we read in Colossians 1, for in him, 
the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What, what couldn't Moses step into? The fullness of God dwelling among the people. He, he couldn't step into God in whom it, it was pleased to dwell. He fished the shorelines with his disciples and he shared meals with sinners. And he took walks where he made this book known. He preached the gospel in the synagogues. And as Paul continues on in Colossians, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If I may read a quote to you. When we read the scriptures... We don't get to just insert Jesus wherever we want, but we get to see how these things come to life in their fullest sense when we see the full work of Jesus on display. The book of Exodus really is his story. Jesus is the Moses of our salvation. See, this is like a good summary. This is the, the time lapse of the whole story of Exodus. The mediator who goes for us before God. Jesus is the lamb of our Passover, the sacrifice who baptizes us in the sea of his grace. Jesus is our bread in the wilderness, the provider who gives us what we need for daily life. Jesus is our voice from the mountain, declaring his law for our lives. Jesus is the altar of our burning through whom we offer praise up to God. Jesus is the light on our lampstand, the source of our life and light. Jesus is the basin of our cleansing, the sanctifier of our souls. Jesus is our great high priest who prays for us at the altar of incense. And Jesus is the blood on the mercy seat, the atonement that reconciles us to God. The great God of the Exodus has saved us in Jesus Christ. holy people and holy places, a holy life. It was never about cleaning up the outside, but it was always about uh, God dwelling on the inside. Or maybe by way of application, we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know how I read that for a hundred years? Clean yourself up and be holy. Right? And, and it goes on after that. Don't walk this way and don't do these things. But, but what about this? By the mercy of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices because you are holy and acceptable to God. Why would you be holy and acceptable? It's not because you washed your hands at the door. It's not because you put on a priestly garment, but it's because you put on the wardrobe of righteousness granted to you. So as, as the music fades up, the band can come on up. As the music fades in, and we consider the, the restoration story of creation and the people, one has come in, and done the work to give you a new beginning. 
find a house, make, make sure it's a disaster. Buy it at an insanely high price. Make it awesome and love it. House restored, home established, who hear that and list it. May we be a people who, who hear that and love what, what, what God has done even today and, and that we might commit our lives to walk where he dwells as his holy people now and forever. And we're going to respond today. However the Spirit would lead, you can pray over there by that prayer bench. You can pray by that red tree or, or, or right back there if you want to pray with someone. If you're in Christ and all this makes your heart sing and you get to remember and declare Christ's work on your behalf, we get to take communion and, and we get to remember by the, by the bread and the drink Christ's body and blood that was broken and spilled for us. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, thank you for your word, for this church family. Then we get a journey together and, and we know that, that people come in this family and, and, and go out. And, and God, just e even in this room today, thank you for the gift that we get to sing to you and about you. God, would you let us know that, that you are the one that makes things holy. By your grace, would you do that in us? Would you let us walk to you because of your gift to us? And would you let that be our spiritual worship? We love you and need you. In Jesus' name.